Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas Montague, calling you here from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And today we have another wonderful guest joining us, Chaim Intora. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. And you said you're joining us from Chicago. Right. How long have you been located in Chicago? I grew up in Chicago, actually. Wow. Uh, I then went to schools in Denver and Washington, D.C., and uh, Kansas City. Uh, yeah. And then taught school out in Indiana and then ended up back in Chicago after I retired from teaching. <laughs> Wow. Amazing. I'm from originally from Missouri. So I, I know this oh. area a little bit, but probably not as well as you, but I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I attended school in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, Calvary Bible College for a couple of years. Wow. Incredible. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you here today with our audience. And we're going to talk about two of your devotionals that you have written. One is the Hebrew word study revealing the heart of God. And the second is the Aramaic word study book. And so both of these are, I'm sure, are excellent. It's so important to study the Hebrew and the Aramaic and understand what, what the original intent of the Bible is. And so before we do, I just want to give you some time. Tell us a little bit more about your personal testimony. Well, I grew up in a very strong Christian home, a fundamentalist background. You know, I went forward in church and accepted the Lord as my Savior when I was like 12 years old. Uh, but I just you know, I grew up in a very strong, with very, um, very wonderful Christian parents uh, mm -hmm. who taught me to love the Word of God. My mother would read the Bible to me as a kid. Um, you know, as far as a personal uh, act on my part of receiving the Lord, I was like 12 years old, uh, sitting in a classroom at school one time and realized uh, for something just motivated me to give my life to God. Hmm. And after that, though, I had a real problem because I grew up in a fundamentalist church and they loved the hellfire and brimstone preaching. And, uh, and they would teach, you know, you are saved. Well, I never really knew I was saved. That really bothered me. I, didn't, I mean, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I prayed it daily. I was one of those, you know, who got saved dozens of times. Uh, and just never really felt, well, I didn't do it right, or maybe I didn't repent enough, maybe I wasn't sorry enough for my sins, or maybe my faith wasn't strong enough, you know, and I was so terrified that, you know, I'm going to die and go to hell, or maybe the rapture will occur and I'll be left mm -hmm. behind. I mean, I was so terrified by that, that um, I would, uh, if I came home from school and my parents weren't home, I'd immediately turn on Christian radio, figuring mm -hmm. that if the rapture had occurred, 
and Christian radio was still going, uh, well, <laughs> uh, then I wasn't left behind. The rapture hadn't occurred. Um, but I just lived with that constant fear of always, uh, you know, if my parents weren't home or something. I think, oh, man, rapture occurred. I've been left behind. Wow. I could never get that sense of assurance of my salvation until one day I uh, was reading something written by John R. Rice. I mean, he's the poster child for soul winning and evangelism. And somebody had asked him a question saying, you know, I try to become a Christian. I pray all the time to be saved. And I just don't feel like I saved. I don't know what to do. And I thought, man, that sounds just like me. And when I read his answer, it was just so simple. Uh, and yet it just changed my life completely. From that moment on, I never again questioned my salvation. But what John R. Rice said was, you know, his advice to this woman was, look, God loves you more than you love him. He wants you a million times more than you want him. If you want him, just receive him. Uh, because he is very more anxious than you are to be saved. And I figured, man, I'm very anxious to be saved. And God's more anxious than I am to be, for me to be saved. And I think we got something going here. Mm -hmm. So um, that, but that also started something with inside me because I'd read through the Bible and, you know, I, I hear the way these, you know, and I have nothing against my fundamentalist teachers. I can still sign the doctoral statement from Moody Bible Institute uh, where I graduated. Uh, but there, you know, this emphasis uh, seems almost, it created fear in me. I grew up in fear until, you know, I finally had this peace of knowing that God wanted me a million times more than I wanted him. And I thought the Bible is filled with this word, fear the Lord. And I'd always believed that meant be afraid of God. You know, I heard a preacher recently who was preaching about the love of God. God loves you. You don't need to be afraid of him. And right after he said that, he checked himself and said, but you better be afraid of God. Uh, and I'm thinking, isn't there a verse somewhere like in James that said, perfect love cast out all fear? Why do we as Christians need to live in fear? Mm -hmm. There's something about that word. So I was you know, started really studying that word fear. And that just led me to study biblical languages. When I went to Moody and on to seminary and graduate school, I just continued studying Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. Um, and that, you know, became my obsession in my life. Uh, was just the translation. When uh, I was a graduate student, the New International Version, the Old Testament portion was being translated. And my mentor, Dr. Kellen, was on the executive committee and another student and myself who received graduate credit to work with Dr. Kellen on this NIV, New International Version. And uh, I learned, you know, some of the particulars involved in translation and the difficulties of translation. And to this day, I don't even own an NIV. <laughs> um, but after I graduated from seminary, uh, and continued on in graduate work, I um, started searching out rabbis because I discovered rabbis, Jews took a much different approach to the Jewish language. We translate it mechanically, very Western. 
you know, Western culture is very scientific, mathematical, and we just, we translate the heart right out of scripture. Where the Jews, they translate it from the heart. I was talking with my ministry partner today, and I was trying to explain. She couldn't understand why the Jewish rabbis translated a certain word the way it did. And I said, you got to remember, we Christians, we look for a mechanical translation. We, we look to see what somebody else translated, who followed what somebody else said, what somebody else said, and so forth. But the, the Jews, they believe in original thinking, and they translate from their heart. And there's a world of difference. Uh, I'm probably... Yeah, I don't know. You may have questions to ask. I'm probably. <laughs> I have a lot of questions because what you're okay. saying is really. Well, why don't we go from there? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying that you helped translate the NIV Bible? Yes. Yeah. Well. Wow. I, I worked with Dr. Kellen. Um, we were graduate students, and I mean, any of the things that the other student and I suggested never ended up in the NIV. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, we wow, were just that's, there. That's really cool. That's really amazing that you could take part in such a a well known translation in English. You know, that's such a well-known translation. And it did give me a great insight into how the translation process goes. Wow. And like I said, I don't even own NIV today. I still love the King James Version. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. When Fiona moved to China, it was to begin an exciting life with her precious, loving husband. But then, the pandemic hit. The whole world came to a halt, sick with plague and anguish. As COVID-19 stormed the planet, affecting millions, they found themselves in a horrible situation. With no airflow, they were stranded in China while their family and loved ones were back in the U.S. Fiona's grandmother had fallen ill and she was getting worse. Fiona found comfort when exchanging letters with her grandmother. Find your copy of Letters of Comfort on Amazon today to hear the letters that Fiona exchanged with her grandmother. Michael Soward's journey started many decades before COVID-19's entry into the world that shocked everyone. The sheer drama of it all reignited his hunger to search and seek a deeper, very serious bond with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit prompted him to reintroduce himself to the powerful, legendary teachings of Dr. Paul G. Trulin, entitled My Body, His Life series. The amazing, invisible Jesus Christ lives inside all of us that will receive him, says Michael. Find Michael Sword Presents podcast on all streaming platforms. Another question here. So, so these two devotionals, what bridged the gap between understanding this, studying this for yourself, and wanting to put it into a devotional for others? Well... Again, you know, anybody who's, at least to my experience, most people who study biblical languages, um, they're off in a different world. You know, they're saying, oh, man, the PL infinitive construct form uh, is actually in an imperative form, and it's an adjustive when it should be imperfect. And, you know, they sit there with their mouth open. What's he talking about? It's like a different language. Yeah. And I wanted to put that into language that the average person can understand. And the only way to accomplish that, while at the same time, keeping the heart of scripture. So many, many, most of our translations are very mechanical translations and they translate the heart right out of the word of God. And Hebrew itself is a very, it's a Semitic language. 
Greek is a very precise language, language of scientists, language of mathematicians, very precision. I can say the son saw the man in Greek, turn those words around, flip the syntax back and forth. It'll still mean the same thing. But in Hebrew or Aramaic, you say the son saw the man. You're not sure whether the man saw the son, the son saw the man, or anybody saw anybody to begin with. Yeah. Um, because Hebrew is a poetic language. It's an ambiguous language where Greek is a very precise language. And there was a period uh, back in the 80s and so forth when a lot of worship music was coming out. And it was funny how they would draw from, and worship music was focused on scripture. And much of the worship music would come from the Old Testament rather than the New Testament. Mm. And that was for good reason, because the Old Testament spoke of the, it was an emotional language. It was a poetic language and it spoke of the love of God and God's love. Uh, and worship and praise uh, could be expressed in that language much easier than you can in the Greek language. So I think what, you know, your original questions, what I hope to accomplish is to bring the translation process, remove it from mechanical. You know, most people to them, when they translate, they look in the back of Strong's Concordance, oh yeah, this word's mean this, 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 and that. And then they move on. I want to take it a bit further. I want you to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. All right. The word means you take uh, Song of Solomon 4.9. With one glance of your eye, you've ra uh, ravished my heart. But you look at the different translation. What translation you've captured my heart? You've captivated my heart. You've wounded my heart. You made my heart beat faster. All those have a little bit of different nuance. Yeah. Which one's right? And that's what I want to, I want people to learn is you decide what's right. You've got all these resources, all these different possible words. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to the word that fits for you. I personally believe in God. that season because it's the living word. And next season, it could be a different. Exactly. Wow. Right. Wow. A passage of scripture that meant something to me when I was a teenager means something entirely different today. As I grew in the Lord, mature in the Lord, I, I get a whole different nuance, a different meaning from it. When I taught Hebrew in Bible college, uh, my advanced Hebrew class, uh, the first uh, semester of the advanced Hebrew class, I had my class translate Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we'd spend two months on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I taught 17 years advanced Hebrew, and every year I learned something new. Every year something came up that I never thought about in that verse. I thought I knew every nuance, everything, every particular thing. And just, you know, a few months ago, I was talking to someone about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I was introduced to something I never even thought about of related to that. Um, the the word of God is a well that's never going to run dry. And we spend too much time looking at what other people have said about it. Find out what the Holy Spirit says. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you. You get the, you, you get all these. One rabbi told me every Hebrew word has possibly 35 different English words that you could apply to it. How are you going to know which one to apply? Mm -hmm. Well, context and syntax and so forth. But also the Holy Spirit will guide you to the right word. It will give you a personal understanding and meaning that is special between you and God. Mm -hmm. Another question here, why would it be important for the average reader 
to understand this? Why can't we just read it in English and take it for what it is? Why would you encourage us to, to study it a little bit deeper? Oh, you can. I mean, my grandfather and grandmother, they read their Bible every day and they knew the Bible. Boy, they knew it. They really knew their Bible. Um, but, you know, you're reading it in English and you're reading just one, uh, you know, one particular area, denomination. Many of your translations are denominationally centered. Um, sorry. <laughs> and uh, is denominationally centered and they could have a little bit different nuance. And it's really important uh, when you're searching scripture to find an answer to some question uh, that maybe if you just look the word up in the original, uh, you know, you have online all the resources you need. You don't need years and years of study in biblical languages. Uh, I teach Hebrew now to people who've never studied Hebrew or Aramaic. And within six classes, they're studying Hebrew like some of my advanced Hebrew students did. Wow. Because we, we got all these resources online. I'm not making them memorize all these, um, you know, parsing of verbs and prefixes and suffixes. They're learning what they need for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it opens up an entirely different world. Uh, a, a, you know, the word of God is like the ocean. You can look and you can see the beauty of the ocean, the waves, the colors, the sun reflecting off of it. And, you know, some sailors spend a lifetime just enjoying the beauty of the ocean on the surface. There's others that are not satisfied with that. Hmm. They want to put on that um, tank and goggles and they want to dive into the ocean and see a whole different world. Wow. That's good. there's a world of life under there. I like there. that. Never, what? That's amazing. Another question for you. In, in all of your years of studying and translating the Bible, what, are you th what do you think are some of the most misrepresented English words when translated? Well, I think uh, probably in the Hebrew, I think of two words that are really misrepresented. One is the word good. You know, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. He created heavens and the earth. He saw that it was good. You know, he created all the animals. He saw it was good. When I hear the word good in English, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, average, not excellent, not great, just good. Uh, you know, God says, yeah, that's good. It's appropriate. Yeah, it, you know, not my best work, but it's <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, you know, you've got uh, King Solomon said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You can imagine telling your wife she's a thing. Yeah, we're good. A, You're just a good. good thing, not an excellent <laughs> yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that word good, we never stop to think about it. Oh, yeah. God is good. We see a song, God is so good or whatever, you know, drove us nuts. We sang it so much. Uh, and nobody ever stopped to think. You're saying in our English that that's just, that's acceptable. You know, God's mm -hmm. good. He, you know, he's decent. Uh, the word good in Hebrew is tob, which means to be in harmony. So in other words, when God created the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good, he saw it was in harmony with him. Wow. When he created the That's animals. That's so much more beautiful than good, right? Right. Wow. You know, he who finds a wife finds, well, the word thing isn't even in the Hebrew. It's simply tov. 
he who finds a wife finds a tope. In other words, finds someone who brings him into harmony with God. Wow. Uh, and then he wins favor with God because he's brought in harmony with God. You know, when God created the human being, he didn't say it was good. Not until he created the woman. Then he said, male and female created him them both. And they were very good. Moed Tov. Uh, in other words, that was the ultimate of uh, bringing in harmony. Wow. Man and woman together. Because in that love relationship, in that joining together in intimacy, we have a picture of the love that God has for us and the relationship that God desires for us, even in that intimate relationship that only a husband and wife share with themselves and no one else in the world. God is saying, that's what worship is all about. I want to enter into that type of intimacy with you, where we just encompass each other. In fact, the word worship in Hebrew you look it up, you know, Shakai, you look it up in uh, the lexicon, it says it's fall prostrate or bow down. But I've traced that word way back. I took it back to its very Semitic origins. Uh, it comes from a Phoenician word. Uh, Phoenicians were seafaring people. And it's a nautical term for when you throw it overboard and you're surrounded by water. Uh, it's a word used for swimming. So worship is really just enveloping yourself, surrounding yourself, swimming in the presence of God. Um, so, uh, anyways, I kind of went off topic there. No, no. I think I could spend an entire afternoon with you just absorbing this because this is amazing. This is so, wow. I'm definitely going to buy your book. <laughs> another another couple questions here. Okay. You, well, actually, let's go back. You said that you had two words. Good. Well, the other one is the second fear. Word? Okay. That's what drove me into the study of biblical languages. Because when you hear fear, you automatically think being afraid of God. Mm -hmm. Fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So if you're afraid of God, that's that's good wisdom. But you know, there's two words in Hebrew for fear, pakad and yara. Pakad is a fear for your own safety. Yara is a very unusual type of fear. Um, in fact, the English word fear back in the time of King James, had an entirely different meaning in English, the word fear, than it does today. Uh, in the time of King James, the word fear was used in relationship to um, a concern for another, the fear of offending them, the mm -hmm. fear of wounding their heart. I mean, that was a day of chivalry. Or, you know, uh, If you insulted somebody, you'd end up in a duel. Uh, so you lived in fear of saying something that would be offensive to someone. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't until the 19th century when Darwin, of all guys, came along, mm -hmm. and he inserted another definition to our English word fear, and that was fear for your own gizzard, fear for your own safety. I mean, that's only a couple hundred years old, the concept that fear is fear for your own safety. And that's a word, pecan. The word used with God is a fear of offending him, of wounding his heart, of breaking his heart, uh, a fear of, um, well, actually, it's you know a sense of showing respect and honor. Hmm. So therefore, the fear of the Lord, showing respect and honor to God, and realizing that God has a heart that can be broken, 
is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, the Bible, you know, David said, he's close to the brokenhearted. When God created us in his image, the word in Hebrew for image is salam, which is a word for a shadow. It doesn't mean two arms, two legs, two eyes. It simply means uh, more of the emotional makeup. Basically, a God created us to have a heart like he has. And if our hearts can be broken and we're made in that image of God, it means God's heart can be broken. Uh, and you consider that, it says we're also made in his likeness. Well, the word likeness, uh, dama, actually means of equal value. So when he said, let's make, God, let's make man in our image, and don't let the plural for you, because in Hebrew, the plural means an ultimate. You know, it doesn't have to mean more than one. So when he said, let us make man in our image, he's saying, I am now going to make my ultimate creation. Uh, and he put it into a plural form. We just, in English, translated as plural. We wonder who the world he's talking to. Hmm. Uh, it should really be translated, I am now going to make the ultimate of my creation. And I'm going to make this human being into my Duma, he's going to have as much value as his existence is going to be as valuable to me as my own existence is to myself. Mm -hmm. That's what it meant in his likeness, the word Duma. And God doesn't expect us to do anything. He would do himself. And that's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Just love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and might. The second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God has just said, you know, I'm the poster child of that. I created to love you as much as I love myself. So in this creation of the human being, uh, God has this ultimate love. And I forgot what the original question was that we were talking about. No, no what you're saying is amazing. I have a comment to say, you were saying that made in his image means we're a shadow which right. that's so beautiful to say. I, I preached um, on Sunday. I didn't preach about this, but I, I mentioned that we're created in God's image. How much more beautiful would it be to say we're in, in his shadow? That, that's yeah. so, tell me a little bit more about your devotional because how does this work? Is it, is it verse by verse study? Is it just keep pointing to key verses? Because I could definitely use this as a tool to, to study more, to preach when I'm using this. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, there are key verses um, it's just every day, it was my own personal journey. Uh, and in my own personal journey, I was searching for the heart of God mm -hmm. because I realized, as I said, I'm as valuable, my value, you know, God values me as much as he values himself. And, you know, that's kind of overwhelming. And so I really wanted to begin a search to understand the heart of God. And that, you know, started 15 years ago when I began that journey. I, every year I'd go to a monastery and live in silence for a week. There's a Benedictine monastery down in Kentucky where, you know, they let anybody, you don't have to be Catholic, you know, Protestants or whatever, you can come. It doesn't cost you anything. You can leave a donation if you wish. And you spend one week because the brothers in this monastery, they live in silence. They practice silence. In other words, no communication with anybody. You don't talk to anybody. When you eat, you're not talking to anybody. When you get on the elevator, you don't say hi. It's just you and God living in that uh, 
time of silence and with no communication with anybody else. And it's in that time uh, that I began to really experience and understand God's heart. And one year I was there, I made a deal with God. I said, if you pray for it, you know, if you will weep for me when my heart is broken, I'll weep for you when your heart is broken. And that's what I was going to say, you know, David said that uh, he's near to the brokenhearted. Why is he near to brokenhearted? Because we break his heart all the time. And he understands a broken heart. Well, I no sooner got back uh, from my time in silence. I was back at my job driving my disability bus. I dropped somebody off at uh, uh, Loyola Hospital, went around the block. I had an empty bus at the time. And I saw a demonstration going on. It was right to life. Uh, and, you know, they were demonstrating for life uh, against abortion. And they had their signs up and all the, you know, mutilated fetuses. And at the time, you know, abortion wasn't my, you know, I had other battlefields I was on. You know, I appreciate it. I, you know, I never really thought much about abortion. And, you know, I figured, well, of course, I'm for life and all that. But I never... Yeah, it was never a topic I took seriously. And so, you know, I saw that, and, you know, I respected these people for coming out and doing their thing. Uh, but then as I went and drove on to the next block, suddenly I felt something inside me welling up. It started way deep, way down deep. And it started coming up. And suddenly I started sobbing, weeping. And I had to pull my bus to the side of the road. I was weeping so hard I couldn't even drive. And I realized, recognized it was God keeping me to my end of our bargain. That if he would weep for me when my heart was broken, I would weep for him when his heart was broken. And I realized how his heart breaks over abortion. Um, but that's the thing, you know, that's what drove me to really start sharing then my studies, word studies, because they all focused on the heart of God. I, I, I'm trying to help people realize God has a heart like you do. And I want people to realize it's so easy to break his heart. Um, yeah, I think I answered your question. <laughs> you did. I see here that you have three volumes of this book. Is that right? Um, actually, I have about 15 books that I put out dealing with word studies. Wow. Um, I'm looking at one right now on Amazon, the Hebrew word study. You have the first volume, the second volume, and then it says the third one is Beyond the Le Lexicon. That, that oh, yeah, that's wow. really a dumbed down version of my doctoral state or doctoral dissertation mm -hmm. um, where I studied uh, the esoteric structure of the Hebrew alphabet wow. and where I learned you can even translate letter by letter because every letter in the Hebrew uh, alphabet has a certain meaning given to it by rabbis. It's not a linguistical tool. Like I need to make that clear. Uh, it was more of, in ancient times, they didn't have pads of paper to take notes. 
uh, and they needed a lot of illustrations. And so they, teachers would take the Hebrew alphabet and every letter in the Hebrew alphabet represented something of our relationship with God and God's relationship to us. And they'd hold it up and they'd say, well, here's the Aleph. As you can see, the Aleph was made of a Yod Vav Yod, which is the name of God, the abbreviated mm -hmm. name of God. Uh, and it's the first letter of the alphabet where first things, you know, and then they go on uh, giving their study. Uh, and so I researched this. The idea of a PhD is you're supposed to do something nobody else, uh, you know, ever did. So I was going to research this as a way of, um, you know, a Bible, a way of studying the Bible, mm -hmm. of translating word, letter by letter to help you understand uh, certain words. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, there's a built-in commentary in the Hebrew language, uh, at least the biblical Hebrew. Modern Hebrew is a different language. It's they're even questioning whether it's a Semitic language or not, because there's like a million words in modern Hebrew, but biblical Hebrew only has seventy five hundred words. So, well, I hate well, to I, rush you here. I, I want to hear so much more from you, but we have about two minutes on our clock here. It's going to shut oh, us. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if you could take the next two minutes, two minutes, and explain, you could give our audience one overall point where we could find your book. Okay. Yeah, my books are all on Amazon. Plus, you can go to our website, www.kayambentora.com, and you can also join our subscription site at uh, www.hebrewwordstudy.com. Uh, it's like $19.99 a month, but I do live classes two times a week, and I have my whole uh, archive put up in, uh, on the site, plus all our classes are recorded. I do a Saturday morning Torah study portion uh, following the same Torah portion that the Jews follow because so much of what I do reflects the Jewish uh, method of translation. So, uh, I, you know, I hope uh, anybody listening to this would consider purchasing one of my books. I've got, I've got 15 out there, but I encourage you to buy, you know, purchase The Revealing Heart of God. That's been my bestseller. Uh, and it's coming out in a few weeks as an audio version as well. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.